0: Our guest is Megan B. Murphy, and Megan is the editor-in-chief of Woman's Day magazine, which, as you may know, is the number one selling magazine on newsstands right now. Megan was previously the executive editor at Good Housekeeping, and she is the author of the new book, Your Fully Charged Life. Megan, so happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Yay, thank you for having me. We're excited. And so, Megan, I just wanted to start with your journey first in terms of your career, which has been fabulous, and just wanted to give viewers a sense of how you got that
1: start and, you know, your journey on becoming editor-in-chief. Sure. Well, my, my career kind of happened serendipitously, frankly. I had, you know, some angsty teen years, went through some tough times and suffered for some severe adversity. And after coming through that, I wrote an essay about it when I was about 19 years old. And that essay earned me a $10,000 college scholarship, as well as a spot on a national TV show spotlighting these Horatio Alger scholars around the country. And that got the attention of some national media. YM Magazine at the time approached me and wanted to tell my story. And I said, no problem, but I'm going to tell it myself. I'd love to write it and I'd love to be an intern. Can I start on Monday? Sure. Yay. Yay. And so I was already in magazines when I was 19 years old. Awesome. I was going to Mason Grove School of the Arts at Rutgers and studying acting, but also interning at YM Magazine and then ultimately was one of the founding editors of Teen People Magazine and went on from there to Cosmo and did some time as on the creative team at Victoria's Secret and, you know, really started my career very, mm-hmm. very young. And now at the age of 45, I've been in the magazine industry over 25 years, which seems crazy to me. So that's sort of the beginnings of my career was through overcoming adversity, writing an essay about it, and then getting this magazine gig because of it. Yeah, no, that's such an amazing story.
0: And as you're talking, I'm just remembering, you know, just so many things because as you know, my story has been like a tragedy to triumph story too. So I just wanted to ask you if you could share with our viewers too, What were some of those challenges that you went through? Sure.
1: So I was inherently negative kid, right? Very sulky, sullen, pessimistic, miserable kid. And for no reason, right? That was just how I was hardwired. I mean, I had a loving family you know, middle-class upbringing, but I was hardwired for negativity. And that, those negative swirling emotions that I really couldn't control led me to an eating disorder. And I was a raging anorexic starving myself in tandem with my best friend. And we were 15, 16 years old, Ooh. like eating nothing, working out for hours and hours and hours a day. And ultimately I passed out on the soccer field and had to be rushed to the hospital and was admitted to an eating disorders program. Wow. And our parents were friends. Yes. Um and her parents and my parents kind of pow and and she was going to join me in this eating disorder program. And I had talked to her on the payphone, because this was the 90s on the payphone <laughs> From the hospital lounge and the eating disorder program. I'm like, it's not that bad. Just get here. We're going to be okay. And tragically, on the way to the program, she jumped out of the car and subsequently died because her body was just so weak. Oh, no! Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I was a 16 year old kid. So not only am I dealing with this raging eating disorder, but now my best friend is dead and I'm, I feel guilty for having caused her death. I felt a responsibility, a really sick sensibility, responsibility. That was hard, you know. That was hard as I worked through my own eating disorder and sort of recovering from that and processing that with with therapy and whatnot. I did begin to heal in the sense that I was a functioning human. I was no longer had practicing an active eating disorder, but but I wasn't really okay. Mm-hmm. But I was now functioning in the world, and I, I did write about it. I wrote this essay. It was a very powerful essay on adversity and making your mess your message and overcoming mm-hmm. and from this terrible, horrible thing, something really good did come because that essay, number one, yes. helped pay for college. And number two, really gave me a national platform at a very young age. And I really enjoyed at YM Magazine, I did a body positivity column and really connect it with other women, helping them to live their best lives and understand that food was fuel and exercise was medicine and that the body shame and the self-hatred was a waste of energy. But I still was a negative kind of person, Mm -hmm. right? I still was very pessimistic. I still wasn't a joyful, happy person. And it wasn't really until later in my twenties when I was working at Cosmopolitan magazine and I was given an assignment, I was supposed to write the story called the seven secrets of happiness Mm -hmm. in trying to research that and, you know, write that story. I sort of kind of discovered the field of positive psychology and for the first time really sort of understood that happiness was a choice. Mm -hmm. It was like this active state of doing versus a passive state of being. Mm -hmm. And in order to be happy, you have to do happy. And there are things each of us can do on a daily basis to inch forward and move the happiness needle. And that was interesting to me. It wasn't like I had this aha moment and I woke up the next day like farting rainbows, (laughs) but it planted a seed. It planted the seeds of the fully charged life. And then when I went on to work at self magazine, I was the fitness director there and the deputy editor for nine years. I really began to change. And I was coaching women, hundreds of thousands of women Mm -hmm. um, through the self challenge program to reach their, you know, exercise and diet and motivation goals and to live their best lives. And watching these women transform and take charge and feel good was really empowering to me. And I loved it. And it was at that time where I really became. A happy, fulfilled person. And I wound up, you know, marrying my husband, having three kids. And eventually, when I was about to move to the suburbs, that's when I landed at Good Housekeeping Magazine. And I was in a really good place at that point. And then, unfortunately, my father was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he was gone in five months. And that was tough. Mm -hmm. And it was during that time. And I tell a story about sitting with my dad in chemo. And I will always say to people, there's adversity is a gift in many ways right there are gifts in all adversity and sometimes that those gifts can be hard to unwrap but sitting with him in chemo one day and really just saying dad i haven't give up and i'll never give up and i, and I love you but how do you want to be remembered like what do you want your legacy to be like without saying hey this isn't going very well <laughs> how do you want to be remembered and he was very clear he was super clear about how he wanted to be remembered and it gave me the opportunity to ask myself that same question without having to have a stage four cancer diagnosis. And so it was in that moment where I realized I certainly wanted to be remembered for leaving a legacy of positive energy. right. And I felt very confident that the biggest way and the most impactful way I could do that would be to write a book and to write a book sharing the strategies and the tips and tricks that I had tried on myself to transform, because ultimately now, as a forty five year old mother of three, I am no longer that negative, miserable, angsty kid whose nickname was Grumpy. I'm a very different person, but I trained to live this way and I worked to live this way and I choose, I make active choices to live this way every day, even when I wake up tired and miserable and angsty and sad and I watch the news and I spiral into despair. I understand that I have this fully charged toolkit And I use these tools on a regular basis to operate at full battery and to pick myself back up. And I wanted to be able to give that gift to others. I mean, at my core, I'm a service journalist, right? So like if I discover a good idea, all I want to do is share it. (laughs) That's what we do.
0: Exactly. And it's so amazing your story, Megan, and so many similarities with mine for good or for bad because yeah. my husband and best friend died too, just eight weeks after I gave birth and
1: oh no. yes.
0: And it was horrible. He had some rare disease that most doctors never see in their lifetime, only in textbooks. You know, most people don't know it. Once you tell them what it is, they're like, Oh, I've never heard of that. So it's, it, I went through this. What is it? What it was it? It was Pheochromocytoma, very rare one in 1 million get it. Yeah. Only in textbooks. Most doctors will only see it there. It's very, very rare. And is it genetic? It wasn't genetic. So we did genetic testing and they actually saved, you know, his blood for research because of how it was wow, it was so rare that's fascinating. it is fascinating isn't it and I didn't even find out wow. until like after a year when they're like oh we still have his blood so let's test your kids it was just like insane inspiration and how many kids do you I have? have three now at the time because I'm remarried I had two, my two boys because when he died one was eight weeks old the other was three years old oh, oh, yeah exactly and you know It was brutal. And to wait one year to get the autopsy results, which I wrote about, you know, in the book too, because it was so rare, right? They had to formulate a team of experts across two countries, Canada and the United States, and it took them one year just to figure it out. So... During that time, I had no answers, just wondering what had happened, like lightning bolts struck my life. And it's so funny when you talk about going around in circles, like I went through all of that, too, and realized it was mindset in terms of happiness, Mm -hmm. which we share so much in common, because as you were talking, I'm like, wow, with me, it was the same thing. Like I wrote this article that went viral about my experience. And it's so funny. People really gravitate toward stories and stories that are vulnerable where we share our most, Mm -hmm. you know, vulnerable parts of ourselves. And that's what I did. I'm sure that's what you did in yours. And we'll highlight that for listeners that can go back to that article. And as you were speaking, I was like, wow, so many similarities. And so many people have gone through grief with COVID-19, Megan. And they're like, how do I come out of this? So I, I wanted to get just some hacks and tips from you in terms of your book so that people can, you know, just pick up some ways of even just on a daily Mm -hmm. basis, because you're so right. Some days we get up and it's just like, uh, you know,
1: yeah, and that's okay, And that's normal. Right. And we have to treat ourselves with grace when we wake up that way. So your fully charged life essentially looks at the different facets of your life. Right. So the book starts with take action and and going to give you guidance on how to use the tools and explains what it means to live fully charged and what it doesn't. And then it kind of gets into the positive charge, which is that it really is mindset and how to reframe what's lame so that you can think your way happier. Um, And I give lots of tips and tricks and strategies for that. The work charge chapter is about finding meaning and purpose and bringing joy to your job, even if it is just a paycheck and how to navigate work and burnout and all the things. And then the recharge chapter is all about resilience in the face of loss and whether that loss is the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the loss of our freedoms. I mean, right, like the past year, we're all in a collective state of national grief because we've all lost so, so much. And then the extra charge chapter is really about those extras in life that have the power to bring you happiness. And maybe that's the science proven magic of buying yourself flowers or making your bed or dressing the way you want to feel. I call it dopamine dressing in the book. And then there's the health charge that you need to move your body and you need to protect your sleep. And those two things are non-negotiable. And I also touch on the fact that if you eat like crap, you will feel like crap. So what can you do in the health arena to operate a full battery? Then there's, oh my goodness, I'm almost forgetting the love charge, which is incredibly important. And that chapter really looks at the relationships in your life, the strong ties, maybe it's your spouse or your kids or your immediate family and those that are really close to you. But also the weak ties and how important it is the way you treat one person is the way you treat all people. So how are you interacting with a cashier or a service worker or people you come across on a daily basis? Because how you treat them matters and it has the ability to spark you or drain you. And so you have a choice in all of those moments. And I teach you how to choose happy, to do the happy thing. And
0: those are some amazing tips because you're right. You know, we have to do happy. And I learned that too, you know, when I went through my tragedy, that it was a conscious choice. And that, of course, our mindset matters, you know, and and also deriving the good Mm -hmm. from the bad, you know, experience. I have a chapter in my book, too, about that and creating that gift out of tragedy. Well,
1: and I think the thing is, we we just all have to acknowledge like we can't control our circumstances, right? Like no one can just push pause on the pandemic. We can't bring lost loved ones back. We can't do that. So because we can't often control our circumstances, we can always control our reaction. And that's very empowering. That that can save us understanding that, yes, things are going to happen, but you are absolutely empowered to react differently. And when you react differently, you feel differently. I feel at this point in my life with my fully charged toolkit that I'm pretty unflappable. And so when the world throws something at me like a stage four pancreatic cancer diagnosis and I lose my father, who I adored, or I get COVID, my kids, my three kids, my husband, my 71-year-old mom and I all suffered COVID. That stunk, but I have a fully charged toolkit. So I'm going to get through that. I'm a person who does hard things. And I know that about myself. And I have every strategy to get through it with grace and ease and optimism and joy. doesn't mean shitty things don't happen. And it doesn't mean I don't have hard days, but those hard days can be easier if you understand how to think and live differently. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: so Megan, you're a mom and I am too, and it's hard with COVID, with juggling work and the kids and everything. How do you impart some of these lessons to them, you know, as teachable moments on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah. I mean, nothing about the past year has been easy, right? I mean, I think everything is a teaching opportunity. Number one, our behavior is everything. They're always, always watching and seeing how we react. Hey, listen, if you're hysterical, they're going to get hysterical. I think I have teaching moments on a daily basis. We were driving the kids home from school the other day and A guy in a Jeep pulled out in front of us, like completely blatantly his fault. Not sure what the heck he was doing. Almost hit us. And then he gave me the finger. He gave me in the the finger with three kids in the car. And that's just an example of one of these moments, right? Because I have a choice. I cannot control the fact that this guy almost backed into me and gave me the finger. But I can control my reaction. And so what do I do? I pause and I smile and I go about my day because giving the finger back Meets negativity with negativity, and guess what happens when you do that? It spirals, it explodes, it multiplies. Now you have two angry people being angry with each other. But if I smile and carry on, that is the easiest reaction. And it's empowering. It's empowering not to spark negativity with more negativity. It feels good to walk away with a smile, and they say to my kids, "Hey, listen guys, no clue what was happening for him, right? Like maybe his dog died or he got diagnosed with COVID. Not sure. But we didn't deserve the finger and we did nothing wrong. And so, guess what? We are not going to meet his negativity with negativity. We're going to accept that he's in a bad place and having a bad day, and we're going to move on. And my kids are like, well, let's give him the finger. He gave us the finger, mom. No, no, right? That's the easy response. It's easy to meet negativity with negativity and allow it to spiral. I really enjoy now creating a positivity force field and diffusing those negative people. I now it's become like I've sort of gamified it. We drop off our dry cleaning at a place where the woman is absolutely miserable and she's nasty. Every time I've gone in there for the past several weeks, I don't know you. What's your number? No, you've never been here. I'm like, oh, no, I was here last Wednesday. How are you? Good morning. And I'll pepper her with a compliment or I'll keep, you know, I'll smile with my eyes behind my mask and I'll help her unbutton the shirts and I'll be pleasant as can be. And every week I soften her just a little bit and I leave feeling fully charged, right? Because I refuse to let someone's bad mood, bad day, miserable life impact me. I can't control them, but I can absolutely control my reaction.
0: Absolutely. And and those are powerful tips that we all need every day because I'm sure that resonates with every one of us. We can think of those people who are grumpy every single time and have the ability to impact our mood. But it's really empowering not to let that happen and controlling ours. so that's amazing. And so, Megan, I know that you took the quiz. So I developed this personal financial identities framework because after my husband died, I found myself like he he was a CPA very astute with math and finances. He was a financial controller. I mean, I'm a trained economist as well, so I'm, I'm not too bad, but still. I don't know, but I found myself questioning a lot after he died. And I mean, as I said earlier in the program, I had an eight week old and a three year old, which might have contributed to that too. It's not, yeah, that's not a good scenario.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: exactly. Right. And so you're grieving, you're a new mom. I had a traumatic birth experience with the child who was eight weeks at the time. And here I am figuring out everything all at the same time. I'm planning a funeral and I'm doing everything right. And everything just seems like, wow, oh, am I doing the right thing? Would he have done that? Would he have wanted that? And so I wrote in my book, Holistic Wealth, that we should all have, all identify our own personal financial identity and try to harness its strengths, whatever it is. And they're all good. There's no bad financial identity. I, I in particular, I basically developed this so that women, especially women who tend to be less confident in their money decisions, feel more confident. Yeah. Well,
1: I have to be honest. My husband is an MBA and so, and he works in finance and I like absolutely am not the one that's got, you know, uh, <laughs> I would be lost. And yeah. it's like a joke. Like he's sort of written a script for me if God forbid anything were ever to yeah. happen because I'm don't even know how to log into the banking. And I'm not proud of that. Right. But my my joke to him has always been, well, you're the one with the MBA. Like, what why am I supposed to learn that? <laughs> and it's so
0: funny because even women who have that background and training, I find, I think we are responsible for so much anyway, we give birth, you know, we breastfeed, we do all these things. It just seems natural to want to delegate or to want to just have that hived off, you know, to someone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, it's certainly for me a matter of I just don't need any more job.
0: Just don't. Exactly. And we're super busy and it's just hard wrapping your mind around doing all of that stuff too. So women came back to me and they're like, oh, I want to know what my financial identity is. So at the beginning of COVID, when we had the first lockdown, I got busy and I came up with this quiz and I've been asking guests on the show to tell audience what their personal financial identity is based on the quiz and to just share some thoughts about how it resonates and how they see Mm -hmm. it playing out, you know, in their daily lives, which has been so, you know, so amazing to hear thoughts from guests on this. So I just wanted to ask you to share yours with us. And of course, if you have any thoughts on whether in your job, you know, as editor in chief of Women's Day, how it's impacted your job or your life or spending at home or with your husband, like any thoughts on that would be amazing.
1: Um, Also, I was a maximalist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty true of myself. I'd rather have like one quality item than 900 crappy. I, like, I would rather spend mm-hmm. on something I really love, especially if it has a lightning bolt on it <laughs> versus like a lot of junky stuff that doesn't feel special to me. I'm not a stuff person, so I don't like to have too much. So the things I do have, I would rather splurge on, save up or make sure it's something that's like meaningful that doesn't make me feel like it's cluttering up my life unnecessarily.
0: Absolutely. And so the maximalist is also dear to my heart too for so many reasons cuz i i found that they're the ones with the biggest hearts in the room wanting to make people feel welcome if you're hosting a party or you know having friends over it's thinking about what everyone likes and trying to have everyone accommodated. So i'm just wondering if you if you've seen that play out in in your work or at home with your kids or when you're hosting just wondering about that
1: yeah I would I would think so like I'm the hostess with the mostest Mm -hmm. not necessarily during quarantine I do go all out for celebrations and parties I mean Woman's Day magazine we've reimagined as destination celebration no holiday left behind from Taco Tuesday to Christmas and Mm -hmm. it really is about holidaying hard I talk about in my book One of my mandates is to holiday hard and go big and and the extra charge is about like treating yourself you know and taking care of yourself and self care and, and spending on what's important and all of those kind of things.
0: Yeah, and I can see and that's why I wanted to particularly ask you about that especially with Women's Day. You know, you can see it coming through and so I wanted to get your perspective on that too and I mean even the April cover is just beautiful. Oh, yeah, the isn't Easter it? cover, isn't it? Isn't no. it? I looked at it's so it's stunning. It's something that you'd want to like, you know,
1: keep on your wall or Yeah, we have fun with the covers. And it's like a mosaic technique. We did it with the Easter egg, but you can kind of do that for any th- mosaics for such a trend during quarantine, really, like the chalk mosaics and just doing mosaics in general. And so we wanted to do it on a cake and it was so
0: fun. It looks so fun. And for anyone who doesn't know about Megan's Instagram, you should follow her because her Instagram is so fun too. And you can see it, which is why I love hearing from women, especially about their own personal financial aid because you see it, you know, spill over into their work and their careers and and the impacts that they have, right? On, you know, whether it's their own personal brand or working with, you know, their companies or their businesses. And it's always so fascinating to hear about that. So Megan, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask if there are any last words of wisdom that you'd want to leave with audience members who are struggling on a day to day basis, who probably lost jobs, you know, or lost loved ones. I mean, the losses have just been piling up during COVID-19. And I
1: think and I think that's something that's really important for people to remember is that it's also okay to find joy and to punctuate sorrow with happiness. And that just because bad things are happening and the world is in a state of unrest and it's crazy, scary times, That doesn't mean it's frivolous or silly or disrespectful even to also find joy and to celebrate and to understand that life also has lots of good things to offer and to prioritize fun and happiness. I think that's really important for people to remember. And I think I've I've heard a lot of people these days, well, like, how can I, how can I possibly be happy? I lost my job. I lost a loved one. I lost this. The thing is, is that when you prioritize positivity and do the self-work and begin to to recharge and live fully charged, those other things get easier to manage. Those other things get better because the spillover of positivity helps you better navigate that. Absolutely. Wise words. And so Megan,
0: where can people find you? Like, for your website and social media? And where can they find the book?
1: Well, so your fully charged life is available wherever books are sold. I always say if you have a small bookstore, shop local, support local. Bookstores are really struggling right now. So if you can shop local, please do pop in, ask them to go order it for you. If they're not, if they don't have it in stock, of course, it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. If you do buy it big box, write a review or rate it. That's like a report card for the author. And it really helps with sales. I'm very active on Instagram at Megan B. Murphy, M-E-A-G-H-A-N B. Murphy. I also do something called the yay list on Instagram, the yay list. And that's just a positive place. I call it a a, a little happiness community where I share good news and good ideas and celebrate yay humans, people living fully charged and making a difference in the world. That's kind of just like a nice positive escape. And Women's Day Magazine is on newsstands and we run a fun Instagram. Every Monday we give you reasons and ideas to celebrate and and I really enjoy that as well Okay,
0: that's amazing megan thank you so much for sharing your story with us it was amazing i'm sure the audience is walking away with so many tips that they can use on a day-to-day basis you know to help them as they go along in this tough time so thank mm-hmm. you so much for sharing oh goodness, with us thanks
1: for having me i appreciate it
0: you're welcome it was great having you on the show Thank you for joining us this week on Holistic Wealth with Keisha Blair. Make sure to visit our website, keishablair.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. Are you a member of the Institute on Holistic Wealth? If not... What are you waiting for? Go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to choose your membership plan and join. As a member, you get so many perks, free worksheets, advice, coaching, and a member's workshop to design an intentionally designed life. You need to figure out your life purpose. Take the Build Your Life Purpose Portfolio Online Self-Paced Course. You're struggling with all your money decisions? Take the free financial identities quiz and then take the course. You recently had a breakup Job loss or experience the death of a loved one? Take the holistic healing course. You need an overall plan to achieve holistic wealth? We will help you figure out your holistic wealth blueprint. And of course, if you want to start making money by helping others achieve holistic wealth, become a certified holistic wealth consultant. Regardless of what career you've got, the Institute will show you how to increase your income and walk in your purpose. The sooner you join, the sooner you start to achieve a more holistically wealthy lifestyle. And you're going to want to stay for a very long time. So go to Institute on Holistic Wealth slash memberships to join. If you haven't read the book yet, pick up a copy of the award-winning, best-selling Holistic Wealth 32 Life Lessons to Help You Find Purpose, Prosperity, and Happiness.